Good evening. Today is Wednesday, May 17th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter step is step 12, working with others. And our speaker tonight is Melissa C. Thank you, Melissa C. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks to everybody doing service here tonight. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York and um, yeah, it's a, it's, first of all, it's a privilege and an honor always to speak, but especially um, on step 12, because it's such a beautiful part of this program. It, it's, it's the best part of this program, you know, for me, um, you know, really quick qualification, because I want to get to the meat of this topic, which is step 12. Um, you know, I've had a food problem my whole life, as far as I could remember, and I was always battling my weight and the food. And it was like a back and forth, either, um, either I, you know, had moments where I felt victorious, but I wasn't, I was just as crazy. I just seemed to get some pounds off and I was able to sort of keep myself away from the food or some of the foods for a period of time, but it always came back. It always came back harder, faster, stronger, more powerful. Um, and so at the throes of my disease, I was over 300 pounds. I was living in just sheer hell of morbid obesity. And I couldn't imagine um, that I would ever gonna see my way out of this thing. It just felt completely hopeless to me, um, which by the way, if that's where you are today, that's an awesome place to start because we are hopeless. You know, We are of our own, we are without any hope um, and that's to be powerless, but there is something far greater than me, you know, um, a power much greater than myself, which has um, healed me from this horrendous disease. And I have lived in a normal sized body. I've been abstinent for over nine years in a recovered state. Um, I've lost over 160 pounds and food is so quiet. It's alarming how quiet it is. It has really very little pull on me at all. I eat very boring and happily and my life is so rich. Um, so step 12, you know, what, what always like makes me amazed is that step 12, um, it's such an honor because what it really has done for me is it's made all those years of suffering have meaning and purpose because it's where my set of experiences can actually benefit other people and, and like, holy smokes. Um, so there's nothing that I ever did that I should feel embarrassed or humiliated or was a waste because nothing in God's economy is wasted right? That's what I've come to learn. And that every single experience I have can be useful, perhaps, so long as I'm willing to be honest about it, you know, and, and use my experience to benefit others. So step 12, um, you know, I, I'm going to, for a minute, I'm going to get in the, um, the AA 12 and 12, um, and then I'll head right back to the chapter working with others. Um, uh, and you're probably, you know, I'm timing myself, but you may have to get the hook and pull me out because step 12 is so exciting. Um, in the AA 12 and 12, you know, it, here's what step 12 is. 
having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics or compulsive overeaters in our case, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So there's three parts to step 12. It's got three essential components. One is a spiritual awakening. Two is carrying the message to other addicts. And three is practicing these principles in all our affairs. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, the majority of step 12 in the AA 12 and 12 is actually devoted to the practicing the principles. So it's really important. Um, and what it tells me is that even when we are recovered and we're out there carrying the message, we've got a lot more work ahead. It's practicing the principles that becomes for me the greatest work of my lifetime. It's the forever work. Um, you know, and so if there's three parts to this, um, you know, this step 12 work, I want to kind of look at the spiritual awakening part because that's a prerequisite, you know? Um, and so in page 106 in the AA 12 and 12, it says, you know, it asks the big question, what do you mean when you talk about a spiritual awakening? And that's a real common question. People are like, what, what is a spiritual awakening? What does that even mean? And you know, the answer comes on the bottom of the page, page 106, and then it continues on to page 107. Um, and so if you have it, you know, you might want to look at it. I think it's a good spot. It, it says here, when a man or woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his on his unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. So it's like we have this new state of being awake, right? And living, being consciousness and being, and it's a gift. He has been set on a path which tells him he's really going somewhere, that life is not a dead end not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he's been transformed. And then it further goes on to say that he finds himself in a position of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love of which he had thought himself quite incapable. So, you know, if you look at this, it's, it, it's beautiful when someone asks, what does it mean to be recovered? When someone says, like, what is that anyway? Well, this is it. This is a definition that we can do things, we can feel things, and we believe things that we have never been able to do, feel, or believe on our own. And we feel alive inside. That's that degree of consciousness. We have direction. Our lives have purpose. They're meaningful. Um, and we become honest and tolerant. And you know, when I think about tolerant, what does that mean? It means that I'm not so sensitive and touchy. Like things that used to just get me all twisted up inside, they kind of roll off my back. I, I kind of wear life like a loose garment, even the heavy stuff. 
I kind of see it as this, wow, this is like part of a full living experience, even the heavy stuff. Like this is what it means to be human. And, and I don't take the heavy stuff personally. It's not personal. It's just called life, right? Um, and we're genuinely concerned with others more than we are about ourselves. And this thing that we get is described as a free gift that we make ourselves ready to receive by practicing the 12 steps. You know, um, and I love that. That to me is like, that's what it means to have a spiritual awakening. And that's the prerequisite. You can't carry the message to other people. That's what it says, unless you've had that awakening yourself. You might be a friend, you might be a fellow, but unless you have developed some sense of God consciousness, whatever your conception of God is, some sense that there's this power that's alive and awake inside you that wants a relationship with you. Unless you have that, you don't have something to share with other people. You might have a food plan, but so did Weight Watchers, right? And that's not step 12 work. Um, and so, all right, so now what does it mean to carry this message to other people? And now if I look at, you know, um, the chapter, right? In the big book, working with others. Here's what it tells us on page 89. It says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. Remember they're very ill. So, you know, immunity, what is immunity? Because this is what we're gonna get. If you carry the message, you're gonna get immunity. If you work intensively with others, you're gonna get immunity. And what is immunity? It's the ability of an organism to resist a particular infection or toxin, right? And it, you know, the real definition is by, by action of specific antibodies, right? Like you take a little bit of the disease that gets injected inside you. Think about it when you go to the doctor and they get an immunity. They give you a little bit of the disease inside your body and then your body knows just what to do to protect you against it. And that's why I think I need to have close intimate contact with the still sick and suffering because what I get from them I believe is the antibodies. I believe that it does something inside me that creates a sense of immunity. Um, you know, and the most incredible thing is, is though I'm no longer thinking about that when I'm working with others. I'm not thinking, oh great, let me suck up some of their sadness so that I get stronger. It's just sort of a byproduct because really what happens, the spiritual awakening that happens is, I want to help other people. It's not, you know, we start off initially, many people start off sponsoring because their sponsor warns them, if you don't, you're gonna go back to eating, so you best do it. So you start off like doing it out of fear, but the transformation occurs that you do it out of desire. There's nothing. And it says really here, you know, that life takes on new meaning through this work because we get to watch people recover, to see them help others. We watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up amongst us. We get a host of friends. 
And it's an experience you don't want to miss. Um, you know, and anybody who's an active participant in a meeting, and I think that's the benefit of Zoom meetings, is that we have these little screens. And I'll tell you something powerful that happens when people start coming alive. Um, initially, people come on these meetings and they hide their screens. It's a very common thing. And then they get a sponsor and their sponsor urges them, like I do, put your camera on, get inside the meeting, stop listening from outside the door, right? That's what I say when you're, if your camera's off, generally speaking, you're in the hallway with your ear pressed against the door, you're not really in the meeting, right? If you're folding laundry, you're not really in the meeting. But when people come alive, they actually enter the room, their camera comes on and we see them initially. I think about myself in my first meetings, you know, my person, my in-person meetings where I could not make eye contact when my head was down and I just cried. And we see it in the screen sometimes. And here's what happens. You see people come alive. That's one of the most exciting things. I mean, I see it all the time. It's like you start seeing smiles on people's faces. Their face looks different. Something powerful happens. And there's nothing more exciting than knowing that you're a participant in that process for another person. It, it's, you know, it's, it's more tasty than anything I ever ate. It feels better than anything I ever ate. Um, you know, and so the work that we do with others, it says also it's intensive, not convenient. It's not easy. It's not occasional, you know, and what I know for myself is this disease was not convenient. It was never convenient. It never cared about my family obligations when it had me leaving the house late at night. You know, it didn't care about my safety, my welfare, my kids, my husband, my marriage, my job, nothing. It just cared about getting fed. And my work with others has to feel intensive. And when people say, well, how do you know that you're doing it intensively enough? Well, you know what, if you've got enough time to watch every binge watch, everything on Netflix that you wanna watch, you're probably not doing enough work with others, right? Um, if it doesn't pinch, you're probably not doing enough work with others. Um, you know, and so, we're given a lot of direction in the chapter working with others. And I know my, my time is always so short here. One of the things that I think is really important that I, I wanna highlight is if you look through the chapter working with others and look for the word friend, it's there 16 times. Can you imagine 16 times in one chapter? Why is that? because we work with others and we are friends. This is not the dentist removing my teeth. This is the work of the heart. This is the language of the heart. Um, we're human. You know, we're not, we're, not, um, we're not machines. We're human beings. And the best way to carry the message, it tells us all throughout it, you know, that, um, to be helpful is our aim, right? That we can help where no one else can. Um, you know, that because of our experience, we can be uniquely useful. So that means that as a sponsor, I have to be willing to share my experience. My experience 
back then and my current experiences. You know, the, um, I think, you know, Bill, you know, who's the author, right, of our book, the text. Bill was an amazing salesman. He, 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 used, um, he used that to help sell the ideas to the alcoholic. And, you know, we get schooled in this chapter on the art of selling. How do you sell this thing? And, you know, when, when you start off, you talk to someone, you tell about your eating, you tell about your diet habits, you talk about your experiences, talk about your painful weight fluctuations, the binges that made me physically sick, how I missed important social obligations, how I missed celebrations. And basically, you know, when I'm talking to someone and we're starting off talking to them, if they're sad and depressed, I don't cheer them up. I talk about the most depressing stories I can from my, from my eating. And if they're in a silly humorous mood, well, I tell my humorous stories about eating as well. Why is this? Why am I trying to relate to the person? Because I wanna win their confidence. Because I want them to want to talk to me. I don't want them to think, oh God, there she goes on and on again about God. There she goes on and on again about what I'm, what I'm gonna need to do, right? What I want the person to do most of all is to, I wanna guide them to ask, to get them to ask me, okay, so if you were that bad, what did you do? How did you recover? And then I can go on and give them the direction. But we're really supposed to get people to ask us, what we did to get well. So, you know, um, when I meet people who I believe may have this problem, and I meet people all the time in my life, I mean, usually, you know, because I'm so lucky that I had a body that was morbidly obese, believe it or not, now I know that that was luck. Because having been morbidly obese, Usually when I share my pictures with people, which I'm not going to do tonight because I really, I just, it takes so long. I'm, I'm going to skip it this time. Um, but usually when I share those pictures, what happens is people lean in and they want to know more, right? They want to ask me more. And I get an opportunity because I was morbidly obese to carry a message that generally people seem to, I don't know, I guess we like, visual demonstrations of miracles. That's really what it is. And so people ask me more about it. And I get asked all the time. And usually in my, in my outside world, in my real world, where I'm practicing these principles, people want to know what the hell I eat. That's the only thing they want to know. You know, I've had someone say, I'm going to sit next to you and eat exactly what you eat. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to eat only what you eat. I'm going to do exactly what you do. And they want to know what I eat. And what I eat is the least interesting part of this entire program. And most of the time when people wanna ask me what I did, um, I say to them, um, nothing food-wise, nothing that would shock and surprise you. I tell them, yeah, I don't eat the thing, you know the foods that you're not supposed to eat, I don't eat those things, right? And I kind of leave it very vague there. And then I say to them, you know, I used to never be able to stay on a diet. I used to start diets every Monday and blow them every Friday. 
I used to, you know, and then I would try tell people a particular story and I can usually get a sense if they have what I have because they'll start sharing their own experiences, right? They'll start sharing some of mine or else if they have no, you know, they can't relate. They say, oh my God, you used to do that. And then I know they don't need my solution because they don't get it. You know, um, I know I've got like one second left. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, just want to say that this work is the work of my heart and it's the work I delight in doing. And thank you with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C for a beautiful share. Um, I love how it, you know, it's the three parts, spiritual awakening, practicing the principles and carrying the message. And you had said spiritual awakening of being tolerant, not being so sensitive. I love that one. It's just such a important one. Anyway, I, I will now open it up to, let me see here. I'm going to get back to my script. Sorry, I got distracted. So if you would like to share. Uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares, as this is a big book study. Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you would like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Will the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each chair and announce when time is up? And if the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Um, and at 8.47, we will pause the recording. Okay, so it looks like we have, is it Chanel? Okay, you're up. Sorry, Chanel, you, um, you muted yourself, I think. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chanel. I'm a grateful compulsive eater. And Melissa, thank you so much. This is actually the first time I've heard you live. I hear you on special edition all the time, but it's a little early in the morning for us on the West Coast. So I get it as a podcast, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned it. It is something I've been thinking about um, with carrying the message to people who are not in program. And I have a very close friend who is dying in this disease, morbidly obese, and I have just not said anything about being in this program to her. And I don't even know how to approach this subject. And I'm just wondering, do you ever do it with people who are you're close to, or mainly just people you know you might meet somewhere and you're talking about something and it comes up? Just if you could expand on that for me, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have a very close friend who um, suffers with this disease too. And she's had weight loss surgery. She gained it all back. You know, um, I, I share everybody who knows me in my world knows how important my, my program of recovery is, knows what I do. I make no secret about it. They know I work a program of recovery. They know that I'm very active in my fellowship, that it has a huge important part of my life. If they want to know more, I place myself in a very open position to answer anything. Um, you know, I have a close family member who recently joined OA, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, you know, she seems to have a different, a different, visual 
wearing the disease very differently from me, but she's a very, very close relative. And um, I believe I did not shove the message down her throat, but I'm, I'm an open book. And I think, you know, the best thing you can do is live the recovered life, make it look gorgeous, make it palatable, you know, make it interesting, palatable, never like a drug. It's never, I don't do it grudgingly. You know, and I think that's the best way you can carry it. Okay, thank you for the question and answer. Lindsay, you are up next. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lindsay, compulsive overeater. Um, Okay, so I really needed a meeting today. The last couple of, I usually go to a meeting on Monday night and Tuesday night, both in person and my boss was in town. And so I spent the last two nights with him and that's a whole thing. But the beauty is that I showed up, I did the thing and I'm here and I am so excited about, um, you know, um, Melissa getting to hear you on step 12. And I, you know, I'm a blessed and lucky recipient of, um, the work that you do. Um, you know, the, the commitment that you have to working with others and, um, you know, you've been so instrumental in saving my life for years. And, um, you know, I just want to share something that's so important about the whole friend thing in, um, in that chapter, because I was somebody who would like come around. And I mean, I was like 350 pounds, wildly desperate, hopeless, wanting to die. And I really meant business. I really did. And I would come in and I would get the sponsor and then I would vanish. But because there was a friendship developed and there was love and understanding and, you know, I, I felt comfortable to keep coming back, (laughs) you know, Hey, could you maybe work with me this time? And then finally, you know, finally I was ready. And I mean, it wasn't because of anything I did or because of anything I manufactured, but, but, uh, just the fact that, um, you know, like I felt that comfortability to to come back. And so that's really powerful for me and something that I try now as a sponsor, um, to, you know, to offer to people is just love and friendship, because I don't know when someone's going to be ready to receive it. It's not up to me. Um, and gosh, yeah, like nothing so much ensures immunity. And that's such a, such a freaking gift and really cool to like, have a purpose, like to really feel like, like I have a purpose. Sure. I have my job and everything, but like, I actually get to be part of saving people's lives. Like that is so cool. And, um, and like a reason to get out of bed in the morning, you know, and like, uh, it's, it's just really amazing. You know, I mean, just looking back again, as somebody who was so hopeless in this disease, who really believed that I would never get it. And then to be able to say, wow, I've had a spiritual awakening and now I get to help pull other people out of the hole. Like that is like, I mean, that's like next level. Like definitely there's gotta be something greater than me because I, I, I couldn't have produced this. And so, um, it's just really cool to like sponsor and be sponsoring. And it's just such a beautiful program. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be here tonight. So thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Lindsay and Nancy P you're up next.
Hi, Nancy P. Recovering West Newton, Massachusetts. I um, wanted to come to a meeting tonight, and I'm what a surprise and a pleasure to see you, Melissa, my good friend. Um, and I loved um, my one of my favorite sentences in the book is uh, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics, because nothing means nothing. What part of nothing don't you understand, Nancy P? And, um, you know, I had something, the thing of it, that whole, that page about, you know, to have a fellowship spring up around you, we know you'll not want to miss it. My attitude for almost five decades was, I'm fine, leave me alone. And um, everybody said, no problem. <laughs> and then when I was ready to have fellowship, they said, great, you know, I mean, nobody said, you know, her again. Maybe they did. I don't know. I didn't feel that way. And um you know, I, I spoke on Monday night and I always call out that particularly was an imperative that that we work with others, you know, as, you know, Ebby says, as, as he had worked with me, I, that I must work with others as he had worked with me because, to, you know, because you need, I need fellowship, you know, today something upsetting, very upsetting happened to me and I did everything right. I know this because I called some, I called several people they weren't home and or they couldn't talk and um and then I called someone who I've never called before but who I have sort of a you know like a text texting jokey texting relationship with and um and I talked to them about it and I said do you have a few minutes yeah I'm just doing this that and the other and I'm here and they started to talk I said well I need you to listen right now and they said okay and I said this is what happened and um they validated me. They didn't say, I wasn't doing a 10th step because I don't do 10th steps in that way, but I had residual, I did everything right. I know I did everything right. And I had this residual ick factor that I, I hated and I can't stand it. And, um, I, you know, when I said, thank you very much for your time. You've really helped me. And now I'm going to take my own advice, which is to make a bunch more phone calls and not talk about myself. That was my one whiny phone call. And, um, and then I called a bunch of other people and, you know, I don't attribute any of that to anything other than the 12th step. It's true. The three parts have a spiritual awakening, carry the principle, carry the message and practice the principles. I cannot say it enough that um, it saves me. It saved me today. It saved me back when it saves me every minute of every day. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Melissa. You did an awesome job. I'm muted. Thanks, Nancy P. Francesca, you're up next. Thank you so much, um, Melissa. Thank you for your service. Um, hi, everyone. Francesca, compulsive overeater and bulimic. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa. Um, that was wonderful. Um, some of the things that I've never heard someone say, um, this thing about immunity and the antibodies, that was just like so powerful. And I love um, visual images um, are really helpful for me. Um, and so this idea that like someone else is pain is like, I'm ingesting it. And my body is like, oh yeah, that. And then, you know, that my higher power is just kind of using that as this like fuel for connection. I just was like really powerful, especially because I, um, I was talking to fellows earlier today. It's like, I can't keep my memory green. You know, my disease wakes up before me. Like I can't, I spent seven months in relapse, gained 80 pounds. And I'm like now like a little bit out of that, you know, like 
and I logically, like, I know how horrible that was, but I, I still, I can't feel it, you know? And I can say like, I went to the hospital, I lost my job. Like it doesn't matter. But when someone else, someone um, today called me and they'd picked up today and it's like, that is a form of transmission, you know? And like, someone like allowing me to be there for them is just so powerful. It really is an honor and a privilege, like that someone is like sharing themselves like that with me and that, and you said um, that our experience could be helpful so long as we're honest. And you know, just like how powerful that like my experience can be helpful. And you said that like, we have a reason to like, you know, that we, um, I took a lot of notes. Um, that um, we have this new state of being awake, um, that we can do things, that we can feel alive, um, that our lives have meaning. Um, I heard Sandy B once as AA speaker say, like, who needs to travel the world? Like, you get to watch a miracle in front of your own eyes, you know? Um, and you said too, like, make your recovery, um, like, beautiful or, or um, to look at. Um, you know, it's like, and when you speak, it's like things you're saying are nice, but the energy that you're like bringing to this group in this space um, and the love that you're like spreading and just like the energy that you're giving to me now, it's like, that's how I know it works, you know? Um, and the friend thing, I loved the friend thing and I love um, little fun facts about that. So the 16 times thing is really cool. And I, I also um, have experience of... Um, the only reason that I was able to like that somehow that, and every time I say somehow, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I know. But um, that I am like sort of in, um, have a little bit of abstinence now is because I never stopped Thank receiving help. Thank you so much. Um, so these you know, this program saved my life. So thank you so much, Melissa. Um, and thank you so much for your service, Lindsay. And I pass. Awesome. Great. And Lauren, see, you're up next. Sorry, give me a sec. My Mac is flatlining. Lauren, did that work? Did I ask you yet? There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren, and I'm pretty new to program. I am in my first step. Thank you, Melissa, for your service. And I just had to come on and tell you that I was folding laundry with my um, video off and it was a huge sign to me that this is really important and I need to be here. So thank you for that. Um, and I actually have a question for you. Um, in the 12th step, you said that the first part of it is the spiritual awakening. And so I'm not sure if this is the right question for this step, but I'm wondering if, and I'm sure this has happened, but um, if your higher power has ever gotten kind of quiet and what you do in those times and how you handle that and what it means. And I'll let you answer. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a whole, that's a whole meeting of itself, but um, you know, we're, we're, we are urged to seek spiritual connection that this entire program we're told the entire text is to help us establish a relationship with the power right and so of course it's going to be quiet sometimes like you know it, this is this is this is a higher power that i've spent my lifetime 
you know, drowning out with, with cupcakes. So why, you know, why would it suddenly be, and it's, and especially like you're in step one. So probably right now, what you are hearing, if you're experiencing a disease, like most people is the food yelling at you, like God's voice, higher power. It's gentle. It's soft. It rarely screams in your ear, you know? And so does it get quiet sometimes? Of course we're given direction that to, pray and meditate. It says it, it says it throughout the book that we are not shy about this matter of prayer. Better men are using it constantly. It says constantly. So if, if your experience is that God is quiet and you can't hear God, my question would be is how much time are you setting aside? You know, I have a practice. It's a half an hour every morning, no matter what. I also have a practice. My timer goes off every hour during the day. It's just a moment. I take a moment. I breathe in God's presence. I have a moment of gratitude. Thank you, God, for this moment in time, whatever, or give me the strength to get through this moment. I breathe out and I go about my day. And I would, I would encourage you, you know, start those things and see if you don't start feeling and hearing God's presence. So, oh, yes. Um, we are now going to stop the recording.